Lord Jesus, we thank you as we come right now to your word. Holy Spirit, would you speak above my voice? Would you speak into our hearts that we might hear what you're saying to us as a family here this morning and also individually, that we would hear what you're whispering into our lives and that we would listen to that and unite it with faith and receive your grace to bring it into being. Speak to us about our friends and our families and our colleagues around us who may not know you today, but Lord, we are your ambassadors in a lost and a dying world that without you is helpless and on a course of destruction. Lord, you've sent us, your, your church, into a dark world to bring light and hope and peace and help and love and care. We pray this morning that you would help us again to see that afresh in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, before you sit down, just say hello again to somebody. Excellent. Wonderful. Fantastic. Well, just before I got up this morning here, Faye said to me, Dave, have you seen the color of the belt that you're wearing? You're wearing a canvas combat belt with suit trousers. Yee! A man, that's how a man dresses himself. I'm not bothered, I don't care. Who cares? I don't. But isn't it great to have a good wife to spot that? You know, a good wife to point that out. We are going um, straight after the service this morning to become godparents um, to, um, to some children that we love very much and... Um, uh, it's going to be great. So we're going to shoot off bang on, uh, well, just after 12. So uh, pray for us because we just want to be a great influence wherever we are like, like you too. Well, over the last few weeks, as you've known, we've been looking at Luke chapter 4, where Jesus went to the synagogue in Nazareth, place that he grew up, the people in that synagogue knew Jesus very well. They knew him as Joseph's uh, son, the carpenter's boy. And um, Jesus, on this particular day, as Luke notates it in chapter 4, was a time where Jesus stood up to read from the scriptures. And we've said that, you know, when you look at Jesus' life through the Gospels, you see that Jesus never ever saw anybody as an inconvenience or an interruption to his time. Jesus, when he saw people's needs, saw it as an invitation. Whenever people had a problem, whenever there was a crisis, whenever people needed help, Jesus was there. He could never walk by. Uh, their need drew him in. Their crisis drew him, drew, drew him in. He couldn't help himself but immerse himself in people's lives. This was the compassion of his heart. This was the mission of his life. In fact, he said this, and we've said, said it over the weeks. I came, Jesus said, to seek and save the lost. 
It's wonderful when you think about those words, when you realize that all of God's infinite power, all of God's wisdom, all of God's counsel, everything that God is was focused in those words that Christ spoke. I have come to seek. He used all of his power and all of his energy and all of his life to seek and save that which was lost. Jesus said to religious people one day, he said, I have not come for those who are healthy. I have come for those who are sick. I have come for those who are in need. I don't see people's need or crisis or or, or difficulty as an interruption to my agenda. I have no agenda. My agenda is to seek and save that which is lost. My agenda is your problem, your crisis, your sickness, your deliverance, your captivity, your prison, your brokenheartedness. That is my agenda. My heart is bursting with love. My mind has one thought on it. I've got to get to you. I've got to help you. I've got to make you whole. He couldn't walk past a demonized person without expelling that filthy, wicked thing out of that life and filling it with his beauty and his blessing. That's who Jesus is. When you look at Jesus, that's who I see him to be anyway. When you look at Christ, when you see him in all of his wonderful glory, he's a man that gave himself to others. He said, you know, in Philippians, it says that he emptied himself of all of his divine rights and privileges as God, and he became a man. He became a servant. What a wonderful, wonderful name to be called, servant. Servant. Jesus was and still is a selfless servant. When you look at him, it's wonderful to see that he never saw anybody as an inconvenience. Today, you may be here and you may not feel valued. Today, life may have dealt you a very hard deal. Today, you may feel broken. You may feel bruised. But the Bible says that a bruised reed he will not break. A smoking flax he will not put out. He, he, he treats our lives with such wonderful care. Such, such intimacy and, and such involvement on a scale that's unimaginable. Jesus is a beautiful, wonderful person. He'll never forsake you. He will never leave you. And when he said that, he meant it. And you can experience it every moment of every day. It's wonderful. And even in the night hour on your bed, when fear is all over your mind and when, when you're, 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 you, you feel like everything's closing down and there's nobody there and you're all alone and it feels as if you're in a pit, you're never alone because Jesus stands as the light in your world to lead you on through the valley of tears, to bring you again into solid ground and into a life where you can be confident in him. Your life is not an interruption. My life is not an interruption to him. It's not an inconvenience to him. It's an opportunity. It's an invitation where he can bring all of heaven's investment down at your disposal so that you can live a life. Like he said, I have come that you might have life and life more abundantly. Not get up and go to work and feel tired and have a a dead religious existence. No, the very life of God he's come to give us. 
It's wonderful. All of heaven's wonders, all of heaven's beauty, all of heaven's treasure, unpacking it into your heart by his spirit. Jesus is wonderful. That's why I love looking at all the different stories and encounters that people had with Jesus. Because they were invitations to him to be involved. They were invitations to him to help others. Luke 10, 28, I think it is. Uh, Luke looking back and reflecting in the book of Acts. Or Acts 10, 28, sorry. Acts 10, 28. Luke recounts and he recalls the times where Jesus walked down the streets, went into people's homes, went wherever he was. And he says this, oh, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth, who went about doing good, healing all who were oppressed by the devil because God was with him. That's what Jesus did. He just went about doing good. Where's good works gone from the church? Where's just being kind? And doing good gone from Christianity across Wales and across the United Kingdom. One of the first aspects and characteristics of the anointing of God is not, you know, floating six foot in the air off the stage or claiming some, you know, wondrous thing. It's just going about doing good to others. Just do good. Be kind. Offer them a, a, a smile and, a, and a, you know, a comforting word. Do good. Jesus was doing it all the time. Just going about doing good because God had anointed him. We talked about that. That Jesus saw people as an invitation so that he could bless them. There's invitations all around us every day in our workplaces, in our homes, wherever we are. Those invitations are pulling on you. They're pulling on me. And the Holy Spirit is giving us this word so that our eyes again can open. Our ears can hear again to hear the calling invites that you and I are getting all the time from the people around us. Don't worry about the need. Don't worry about the involvement. Don't worry about the investment that's required. Because when you walk into the crisis, when you walk into to the need, there will be a corresponding Holy Spirit anointing for you to deliver every problem, every person, every, every predicament that you face. There will be a corresponding overwhelming power in your life to bring God's blessing where people are. There really will. There really will. We said that for a church to be healthy, it has to have a good inlet. It has to have a good, you know, a good flow of God's promises, God's presence, God's power resident for a church to be healthy. It has to have a good inlet, but it's no good just for a church to have an inlet. A church has to have a great outlet too for those, for those promises and that presence and that power to find its way out into a needy, dark world. It's no good just having an inlet of God's blessing and God's presence and power and promise. It's no good just having that because if, if that's all we have is an inlet, we become much like a swamp where there's a freshwater inlet, but the water's got nowhere to go. So the water becomes stagnant and swamp-like and good for nothing. The Dead Sea got a great freshwater inlet, but it's not going anywhere beyond itself and therefore nothing can live within it. But isn't it great to be a people, a family here today? We've got a wonderful inlet of God's presence, God's promise. But also there's an outlet. There's an outlet for our faith, for our love. Whether it be in our connect groups, 
whether it be through Jesus Cares, whether it be through the youth provisions, the, the children's provisions, there's, a, there's an outlet for all of this inlet so that we can be a blessing. And it's wonderful. It really is. You know, James said, faith without works is dead. Faith without works is dead. The people of that time were boasting about their faith. God is speaking to me. The promises are becoming alive in my life. Great inlet. Great inlet of God's blessing. Great inlet of God's presence. Great inlet of God's promise. They recognized that God was speaking to them. But James said, listen, faith without works is dead. It's no good just having promises alive in your heart. Those promises have got to get up and do something in the world that you live in. There's got to be an outlet for your faith. It's called works. Works. Good works. And every single one of us, this is, you know, look, the Holy Spirit isn't batting us across the head. This morning, the Holy Spirit is saying, listen, I'm speaking to you. I'm, I'm, I'm making alive the promises of God in your heart. And now as you go out from this place into your world, there's going to be opportunity and invite for that word to become alive in the life of others that need help, that need, that need hope, that need compassion and kindness. In this, in this morning that Jesus was speaking in, in the synagogue in Nazareth, I believe when he read those words from the prophet Isaiah, where he said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. I believe that he was giving them a vision. You know, lots of things are said about vision. Let me tell you very, very simply what vision is when it comes to God's word and, and how God treats it. It's everything outside of these doors here this morning. If you want a vision, when you walk out of the doors this morning, you'll see it all around you. People walking up and down the, 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 the streets of this city. That's God's vision. The lost, the broken. Jesus, in the, last, in the last moments of his life, said, Father, as you sent me into this world, I send my disciples in the same way into the world. That's the vision that God has for us. If you want a word from God, I'll give you one. Go into all the world. Preach the gospel in every nation, in every city. Just go and tell the good news to everyone you meet. There's the word. That's the beginning and the ending of it all. Go into all the world. Preach the gospels. Preach the gospel. Tell them that Jesus loves them. And if you get rebuffed and rejected... That's okay. It's fine. It's part of it. But do it with a genuine heart, a loving heart, and you'll be amazed at what happens. You really will. You really will. He was giving them a vision. It wasn't a pleasant vision. It was a heartbreaking vision. It, it was a, a horrific vision. It was absolutely horrific. This wasn't Jesus standing up, preaching a sermon, and tickling people's ears. 
This was Jesus coming with a broken heart, a compassionate heart, outlining everything he was. He was, he was identifying all the people that he was going to meet for the next three years of his life. And he pictured it in the words that were spoken by Isaiah. The trouble was this. He was taking it out of the realm of history and making it present day reality. He was saying, look, you may have treated this as a historical fact. You may have treated these words and, and, and put these words in, in, the, in the backside of history, but I'm taking them out of the backside of history today, and I am dedicating my life to making them a reality. When men and women take hold of the Word of God and say, this is no longer just going to remain on the pages of this book. This is going to live in my heart and my life is now going to be a present active expression of those words. All hell will break loose. All hell will break loose. Oh man. Do you know I was invited just this week by Newport Police to go into a building with them to take food hampers to people in that building. They wanted Jesus Cares to go into that building with them. And as we walked around this building, it was horrific to see what people will live in, what people have to live in. People in our own city living like animals, living in conditions that a dog wouldn't live in. I lost count how many heroin needles were strewn all over the floor. Unbelievable. What people will live, living under air conditioning systems, hiding in squalor, not walking into this place through a door, but coming down through a roof. This vision, spoken by the prophet Isaiah, energized by Jesus, is still as relevant of a vision for us today as it was back then. This vision is, is appropriate for the, the city that we live in. Because it's still full of poor people that have a broken idea of God. They think that God is, is rejecting them. That God could never forgive them. That God would never love them or want them. There's, there's heartbroken people in our city, all, all around our city. It's all over the place. Heartbroken people. There's, there's captive people. There's imprisoned people. There's oppressed people. And in our own strength, we have, we, we, we have no ability to help them. We have no, no uh, means to help them. But I believe that the Holy Spirit is bringing our attention to this again. Because the Holy Spirit is going to help us. The Holy Spirit is going to energize us. The Holy Spirit is going to help us to pray for those that come to us. And we are going to be the means of Christ ministering to them. I really do believe that. And as I walked around that building and I saw the sight that I saw, I thought, my God, you know when you get invited into somebody's life, it's not always a pleasant thing. When you get invited to serve somebody and serve people and serve a community, sometimes you have to be willing to walk into their chaos to walk into their brokenness. But by the time, and it may take years for this to happen, 
It may take years, but we have to be a people with the love of God in our heart that are committed to people for years. If they need us for years to invest, 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 then that's, if that's what it takes to get a life from a place of brokenness into a life where they're serving Christ, where they're strong, then so be it. That must be our resolve. Jesus was such a man. He walked into horrendous situations. He walked into into terrible darkness. And yet wherever he went, the power of the Holy Spirit was upon him to bring help and healing and wholeness wherever he went. And that's the same Holy Spirit that lives inside of us. Now, I want to read to you this morning just from Luke 4 again. And I'm just going to read to you from verse 17 to verse 20. Or from verse uh, verse 17, and I'm going to read verse 20 as well. Just before we read, when Jesus got up in the synagogue that day, it was like any other day. They didn't see, you know, Jesus as we know he is. They saw Joseph's boy, the carpenter. Isaiah said he had no beauty that we should desire him. This wasn't a top male model with a nice Armani suit and, you know, fine brushed hair. This was a rough looking man. His name was Jesus. He was a carpenter. And he had no form of beauty. He had no appearance that we would recognize him as God's son. So he comes disguised as the carpenter. He comes disguised as, you know, a rough cut, poor kid out of Nazareth. The Bible says he became poor so that we might become rich. So, you know, he wasn't a multimillionaire. He was just, you know, one of the guys off the street. Nobody recognized him, and he turns up in his hometown, Nazareth. Everybody knew him. But when Jesus stood up, nothing out of the ordinary was happening. The service service had started, and it was a very strict, traditional, ritualistic, legalistic service. Nothing out of the ordinary was happening. And in verse 17, it says this. So he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom. He stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he opened the book. He found the place where it was written. Then verse 20 says this. Then he closed the book and he gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. Now from the two two verses that we've just read, I want you to think about these things that are in these verses. First of all, Jesus was handed the book. He was handed the book. And then, as we've read, it says that he opened the book. He opened the book. Then he read from the book, the words of Isaiah, the spirit of the Lord is upon me, etc., etc. Then it says he closed the book and he handed the book back to the attendant. So, 
Everything was going as normal. Everything was fitting into the program. Everything was nice in its place, in the routine within that synagogue. The week before Jesus got there, somebody had been handed the book. Somebody had opened the book. Somebody had read from the book. And somebody had closed the book and handed the book back to the attendant. That happened week in, week out. Year in, year out. That's all they did. It was just the religious machine happening once again, and Jesus was happy to step into the tradition. Jesus was happy just to step in to the religion and just, you know, act as if it was fine. And he turns up, and he, he fits into their custom. He fits into their form. He fits into their tradition. And all was going well until he said, Today, this is fulfilled in your midst. Now, when he said that, when he said, no longer is this going to be entombed in history, but this is fulfilled in your hearing, now these words are no longer in a book, on a page. These words are actually living. In fact, I am the book. I'm not just going to, hold the book. I'm not just going to open the book and read from it. I'm not just going to close the book anymore, friends. I am the book. Now, when he stood up and said that, all hell broke loose. The Bible says that, that firstly, they were astonished at his words. Secondly, then when he began to speak to them in parable and got right to the heart of the matter of their religious hearts, it says they took him and wanted to throw him off a cliff. You see, Jesus, as John said it, the apostle said, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten son of God. We never ever just want to fall into the rut and, and the religious tradition of holding the book, of opening the book, of reading the book and closing the book. If all we do is that, there will never ever be any change in our own lives, any change in the lives of those that we meet. God wants the word of Christ to dwell. This is what, this was what was full in New Testament experience. God wants the word of God to dwell within us richly. Paul said, let the word of Christ Dwell in your hearts richly, richly. He doesn't just want it to be in a book. He doesn't want that book just to hang on a shelf to be opened once in a while. He wants that word to live and permeate our lives, for our lives to move under the direction of that word, for our lives to be an expression of that promise. The word of God is living, the Bible says. It's living, it's active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. Do you know faith doesn't come by reading, does it? Faith doesn't come by reading. They were, op- they were holding the book, opening the book, reading the book, closing the book, but there was no stimulation of faith inside. Faith doesn't come by reading. You can read the book until you're blue in the face. Anybody can hold the book. Anybody can open the book. Anybody can read it and close it. All You know, you can do it parrot fashion. Faith doesn't come by reading. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. 
God wants to speak to us. God is speaking to us. God is energizing the promises that live on the inside of us, every single one of us. And he stood up. He said, today this is fulfilled in your midst. And all of hell broke loose. Probably, very sadly, the week after Jesus had left, the town of Nazareth, he was never to return to that place because he could do no great work there. He was never to return to Nazareth or that synagogue. But the week after, the form and the tradition and the ritual and the religious machine just carried on again. I guarantee you, somebody was handed the book, somebody opened the book, somebody read from the book, somebody closed the book, and on and on and on and on they went. But What did Paul say? It was a form of godliness that denied the power. And there is a form of godliness. It looks godly to hold the book and read from it and quote it and close it. It is is a form of godliness. It has an appearance of godliness, but there's no power in it. But Jesus wasn't into that. He was the book, the living book. And it's interesting This is the only time in the New Testament where Jesus held the book and opened it and spoke from it and closed it. Never again did he do that. He didn't go into any other synagogue. In fact, if you read down in Luke chapter 4, he went down into the city of Capernaum after this event, after getting chucked out of church. He went down to the city of Capernaum and he began to preach in a synagogue teach in a synagogue and they were astonished it says at his word he wasn't speaking from from old testament old covenant scriptures reminding them how bad they were and how under a curse they were no he was teaching them the good news of what God had for all of them and he was unfurling it and unpacking it into their lives and there was a man there that was that had an unclean spirit in him And he'd probably gone to the synagogue week after week and was undisturbed by the tradition, by the machine, by the religiosity of their services. He was undisturbed. He could hide and cloak his life in that kind of environment until Jesus stepped through the door. And when Jesus stepped through the door, the demons began to cry out in him and say, we know who you are. You know, you got, you got them back in Nazareth calling him the carpenter's son. But every devil in hell knew who he was. They weren't calling him the carpenter's son, I can tell you. They were saying, you're Jesus of Nazareth, the son of God. Tell you. They recognized him, all right? And they still recognize him. Suddenly Jesus said, shut up and come out. And the man was free. He didn't turn to a book, he was the book. You see, and now he's left Nazareth and he's on the move. He's looking for invitations everywhere. He's not looking, you know, for invitations to get, you know, in churches, friends, in meetings. Or can I, you know, uh, can I come and preach in your church, please? No, his invitation is the street. His invitation is people's homes. His invitations is wherever people, people are. It's a very, very different picture to what's often presented. But it's all there. 
And he goes in and the man's set free. He comes into the, the chaos of a man's world and he sets him free. You know, Jesus didn't say in Luke chapter 4. The spirit of the Lord is upon me and he's not on you. It wasn't that kind of attitude. It wasn't. The Bible says he, he wept over Jerusalem. It says he came to his own. How did he come to them? He came to them as, as a loving savior. As wanting to help them and meet them and talk with them. He came to his own and it says his own received him not. He was pushed away. That hurt him. He wasn't saying the spirit of the Lord is upon me and he's not on you. No, he was just saying, guys, there's a world beyond your world. It's a poor world, a broken hearted world, a captive world, an imprisoned world, an oppressed world. I've got to give my life to that. I can't just go through the routine and the ritual of what we've got here anymore. I've grown up in it. I've held the book, opened the book, read from the book, closed the book. Man, we can't do that for the rest of our days. The Spirit of God is upon me. There's a because for this anointing. And, and this anointing is here, not for me to relish in it. This anointing has got to be dispensed. This anointing has got to be used. This anointing has got to heal and bless and make whole. And he went and he left and he never went back. And after that time in the synagogue in Capernaum, he walks into Peter's mother-in-law's house. She's there laying sick on a bed. I mean, this is Jesus, son of God. I mean, where's his bodyguards? Where's his limousine? Come on. You know? Where's all the, the trimmings and the trappings of successful ministry? I mean, Jesus, where's your, where's your books, Jesus? You should be selling books, Jesus. You know, Jesus. Let's get the books out, Jesus. Let's get some, some money in here. No. I've come to seek and save the lost. Not come, not come to promote myself. I've come to give life. Come to heal the sick. I've not come to be served. I've come to serve and give my life over for the life of others. And he went into that house and he laid his hand on her. And suddenly she's up again. Doing what a good woman should do. Cooking. <laughs> hey, it was even in the Bible. Cooking. Ooh, I love a good cook. <laughs> she went and made him a lovely meal. They sat down and took hold of the remote control and turned the channels over. Thank you. Thank you. No, it says she, she made him a meal. Which was wonderful. And then they all started to come. And they invade the house. The whole city turned up. And there was the demonized there. There was the sick there. There was the broken there. And there was the chaos of a lost world. Coming around the house. Coming around where Jesus was. 
It was an empty, dead synagogue in Nazareth, in Capernaum. There was no needs being met there. It was a religious machine that was irrelevant, that couldn't meet the needs. And it it threw Jesus out. So Jesus went into the houses. He went into the streets and wherever he went, even if it was in a wilderness, they all came and crowded around him. And it's amazing that this anointing that was on him had power to deal with every problem, even with problems that, that were, were in nature, even, the, even problems that, that, that people couldn't set them free, themselves free from. This anointing could cut through everything. And people everywhere. And it says all night he ministered. All night invitation came after invitation for him to be involved in. And he took them all. He took them all. It didn't matter how big they were. It didn't matter how, how evil and, and demonic it was. It didn't matter how you know, impossible it seemed. He took the invitation. He, he, he took them in, in all of their multitudes. In all of their diversity. And he healed them all, it says the Bible. Healed everyone. What an anointing. What a Holy Ghost that we have. He's amazing. He's wonderful. He can do anything. And he's going to use you and me to do it. And all we've got to say. Let me ask James to come a minute. Thanks, James. All we've got to say is this. Right? Don't try and make this happen now. When we leave today, we're nearly finished. When we leave today, don't try and make this happen. Don't think, I've got to find somebody, I've got to find somebody. Just go out, say, Jesus, whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. That's all. Whatever I can do to please you, that's my prayer. I'll do it. Anything. Anything. You did everything for me. So anything you want me to do, Jesus, I just want to say, I want to be in a place where I'll do it. And you watch. You watch. You wait and see how he'll use you. And how the Holy Spirit will enable you to do God's will. Amen. Is that all right this morning? Come on, let's give Jesus a shout this morning. He is awesome. He really is. You may be here, you know, and uh, you may have been a few times before. It may be your first day here today with us. Do you know, as you may have realized, we love Jesus very much. And we sing songs and we, we, we speak words like this from the Bible because we love him. He's done so much for us. And, you know... Wherever you are today in your life, you may not know Jesus as your Savior. You think, well, what's all this about? You don't understand. But this morning, Jesus is knocking on the door of your heart. Knocking away. He's saying, can I come in to your heart? Will you invite me in? I love you. Very often, if you're like me, you often answer, I'm not sure 
if you like what you're finding here, Jesus. No, he knows everything that's inside. He knows everything we've done. Still loves us. He'll never, ever reject us. This morning, right now, I want you, if you've never asked Jesus into your heart to be your savior, I want to give you an opportunity right now to do that. To do that. It's a wonderful, wonderful friendship and relationship that you will have with him. It really is. You say, well, I'll try and become a better person. No, you'll never do that. None of us will. That's why we need Jesus to be our savior. And he died on the cross to take our sin upon himself. He rose from the dead, the Bible says. He's actually alive. He rose from the dead on the third day. So that we could know him and have a relationship with him. My eyes have never seen him. But my heart knows him. Because I asked him to come into my heart. Now right now, I'm going to ask you, I want to help you with a simple prayer to do that. Let's close our eyes. Would you pray this prayer? If you do not know Jesus into your heart, in in your life, just pray with me and repeat these words quietly. I just want to help you, that's all. Just say, Jesus, right now, I ask you to come into my heart. Thank you that you didn't kick the door down. You waited patiently for me to open it. And right now, I open the door. Come in, Jesus. Come in. I invite you in. Come in to my heart right now. Thank you for forgiving me my sin, for taking my sin and forgetting about it. As far as the east is from the west, I acknowledge you as my Savior and my Lord. Now, if you prayed that prayer, I want, to, I want you to quickly lift your hand up. I'll see it, then you can put it down. I see your hands at the back. That's it, on the tiered seating. Give you a little booklet there. Well done. There's no pressure. Quickly lift your hand. I'll see it. Yeah, I see your hand, my love. Lady here. Well done. That's it. That's it. You prayed the prayer. Asking him in. Your life is never going to be the same. Just wait a moment. That's it. People come into Jesus. The Bible says if one person turns and repents, the whole of heaven, the whole of heaven rejoices. Let's stand this morning. Remember, no fighting on the way out now, right? Chill out with the food. Let's do it orderly. No fighting over the bacon. We're following Jesus. Jesus.